Hello, and welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy rewatch podcast. I'm Kara Babcock, pronouns she, her. And I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns she, her. Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer from the beginning. This is a spoiler-free podcast, and we're currently on season two. Whether you're watching for the first time, or longtime fans like us, we'll be analyzing every episode, character, and storyline like it's our first time, too. During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy, discuss the show's cultural impact, and provide honest commentary on the show. Thanks for listening! Now, on to the episode. Season 2, Episode 22, Becoming Part 2. We've made it! Oh mm-hmm. my god, Kara, we've made it. This has always been my favorite episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Okay. Uh, it's the one that moves me the most. It's the one that drew me in when I was young. It's the one. <laughs> this is the chosen one. If you ask me if I wanted to show an episode of Buffy to somebody who's never watched it before and they just wanted a little taste, I, I might show them this one. I know it's a lot to take in at once, but it's it's amazing. I think this is a great episode. Yeah. My thought as I was watching it, especially the ending, was this is the second saddest episode of the series. And I won't say what the saddest is because we're not there yet, but <laughs> I'm not sure if this is my favorite episode, but it definitely is up there for me. I think what I want to say before we go into this is that this is an episode where everything comes together to make it work. And mm-hmm. I think that if you took away one of the elements, one of the subplots or stories, one of the characters, the whole thing would fall apart. And yeah. that is what I admire about this episode. Yeah, I, I think that this episode breaks us <laughs> as an audience. I, I like that you are saying that this is, you know, your second most emotional episode. It's obviously number one for me, but I think this episode hits in a particular way in the series. I mean, there's a lot of things to cry about in the series. Joss Whedon loves making us cry. But for whatever reason, the this episode coming at the end of this season, it just hits different. It has... <laughs> An emotional feeling all its own. Well, this is an, this is an episode of endings. And yeah. if we contrast it with Prophecy Girl from season one, right? Like, already we can see how much Buffy has changed since her experiences in Prophecy Girl. Like, the contrast between how she acts in this episode versus how she's acting in season one in Prophecy Girl. Mm-hmm. So, I, I think this season has really worked hard at helping Buffy embrace what it means to be a slayer. Mm -hmm. And we see that in this episode. We see the payoff of that emotional journey. But the ending is just so final. It's so definitive. And it just makes you think, like, this was a big deal for a TV show back in 1997 to, to end it that way. Yeah, there's no other season finale that hits quite like this one, like I said. I will just say right here, I watched the episode three times. I bawled my ass out every single time leading up to this discussion. I'm a little bit nervous because this episode means so much to me because I want to do it justice. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I am ready. You and I have been building up. I feel like since we started the podcast in February, 
this is what I've been leading up to because I just <laughs> like this is my favorite episode. Like, oh my god, oh, I'm so dear. excited. Okay, so it's all downhill <laughs> from here. I get it. Okay, it's fine. Yeah. So uh, this will be my last episode of Prophecy Girls. <laughs> I wish you luck, Kara. <laughs> oh dear. Okay. No pressure. Well, all let's right, do it. All right. Let's do it. Freeze! <laughs> Put your hands up and back away from the girl slowly. That's how the episode begins. It picks up exactly where we left off in the cliffhanger of Becoming Part 1, where Buffy is leaning over Kendra's body, and a, a police officer, we learn, is pointing a gun at her and telling her to freeze. So she gets up, she backs up, her hands are up, and there's a male cop and a female cop, and the female cop checks Kendra's pulse, says, this one's dead. And then the other officer whose gun is still pointing at Buffy says that there's another one up on the balcony. Buffy looks up. It's Xander. His lifeless body is lying there. She goes to go and check on him. But of course, the police officers won't let her and they guide her outside as the female police officer goes to check on Xander. The police in this episode are wild. Like, they're so wild. And the fact that, like, they're treating Buffy in this way is completely... Like, I want to say it's unrealistic, but it's not. But it is because Buffy is a tiny white girl. And yeah, I think, that's I think the, the least realistic thing is that they're so choked up about the death of a black woman. Like, that's unrealistic. Yeah, exactly. So when they push Buffy out to the hallway, Snyder, of course, comes up and Buffy's saying, I, I didn't do anything. And he's like, why do I find that hard to believe? And he basically sells her out to the police where he's like, if there's trouble, this one's behind it. Her name's Buffy Summers. And Buffy calls him a stupid little troll and says that he has no idea. Uh, and Buffy just wants to know if her friends are okay. But the police officer starts arresting her. Like, he starts handcuffing her and reading her her rights. And that's when Buffy's just like, fuck this. And she punches <laughs> the police officer in the face and starts to run away. And the other police officer comes out then and shoots at her. She shoots at Buffy down the hall. It misses her. It hits the door with the window instead. And Buffy takes off. That police officer goes into her mic or her her uh, or her police sound system. Walkie-talkie. <laughs> Walkie-talkie. And she says, fugitive on foot at the high school, homicide, suspect, female, blonde. <laughs> like, she does the whole thing. And she says, suspect is very dangerous. And we cut to credits. So... It, Again, it's so wild that this police officer shot at Buffy. Okay, Buffy was found on this crime scene and obviously doesn't look good, but she doesn't have a weapon on her. She's a minor. I don't see the reason why they have to be shooting at her. Yeah, um, I don't know. It's tough for me to comment on the scene because I'm very tempted to make jokes about the incompetence of the Sunnydale police and, and whatnot because I agree with you. Like, they're overreacting. But at the same time, I, I, I want to recognize that this is how the police in Canada and the States treat people of color. And mm -hmm. I don't want to make light of that. So, you know, it, it's funny because they're doing it to Buffy. And like you pointed out, she is, to all appearances, a scrawny little white girl. But... In general, the cops overreacting this way is not funny because it is the reality for so many people, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. um, I love how Buffy stands up to Snyder. Like, you can tell in that moment, and it just carries through this entire episode, Buffy is taking no shit. She is like the honey badger. Honey badger don't care, you know? <laughs> it doesn't matter. 
Buffy <laughs> is done with it. She's done with everything. Because at this point, she's in survival mode. And she's like, I've lost Kendra. Might have lost Xander. I don't know if he's okay. I have no idea where Willow and Giles and Cordelia are, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think her mind's going to, like, worst case scenario territory. Plus, Angel is still alive. And yes. still has no soul. And still wants to suck the world into hell. Just a little reminder to everybody what the stakes are here, because I don't think Buffy has forgotten them. Yeah, and it's almost like at this point, the human world of like the police and law and Snyder as the principal, it's like, this is so secondary. Like, I can't, I don't have time to be arrested right now. I'm going to punch this guy. I'm going to get out of here, which she does. And what does she do with her freedom? She, <laughs> she dresses <laughs> like Buffy. I know. You, you're, you're just you're so not stealthy you're just not okay and we've known this for about you for a very long time but she does not cover up her hair she doesn't put her hair in a ponytail she just lets it out freely but puts a black toque over top of it and she does wear like you know a, a coat but like nothing about it screams you know i'm on the lamb so she is in the hospital looking at charts and basically she's she's looking for her friends. And that's when Xander sees her in the hallway and they hug and Xander's arm is in a cast and cops come into the hallway and Xander pulls Buffy into another hug to help hide her face because they're looking for a blonde suspect. Yeah, so this is where I will make fun of the cops because this is just silly. It's like you're really bad <laughs> at spotting your potential fugitive here. If she's as dangerous as you think... Every cop in the city should have been alerted, and it's not that hard to spot her. As you just pointed out, she hasn't done a good job disguising herself, so these cops clearly not paying attention. Yeah, and she's also looking so shifty in that hallway. And But I also want to add, like, Xander is awake. Xander clearly has a broken arm, but couldn't he have just told the police that it wasn't Buffy? Couldn't he have just been like, oh, um, we were attacked, but not by her? I mean, they might not have taken a statement yet. Like, this is very fast treatment, right? Like, they took Xander Mm -hmm. to the hospital. And I don't know about you, but when I I literally have broken my elbow before. Not my wrist, but my elbow. And when I made it to the hospital, you know, it took several hours for them to finally treat me. Oh, my gosh. Well, because at the, the end of the day, like... You poor thing. A broken bone... Is, is well, and mine had been set previously by another healthcare professional. A, a broken bone is not life threatening in most cases, so it doesn't rank versus somebody <laughs> coming in with a heart attack or something, right? So yeah. I am just surprised that Xander, in however many hours have elapsed since we left the library, was seen by a doctor, had x rays, everything was diagnosed, and they gave him like a plaster cast. Like, that is a significant undertaking. (laughs) It's true. So the hospital's been very busy. The police are not good at their jobs, but they're also busy looking for Buffy. Everyone in Sunnydale's hustling and bustling this day. And when they pull out of that hug, Buffy makes a joke and says, that was about equal parts protecting me and copying a field, right? And Xander just looks at her very sadly. Like, he doesn't respond to this joke. And you know that when Xander isn't being pervy something's seriously wrong (laughs) yeah that's when we cut to willow who is lying in a hospital bed unconscious we do need to take a moment here and marvel at the fact that willow is unconscious and in the hospital for an undetermined amount of time we don't know how long she's going to be out for or how long it's been 
But Giles, who gets knocked out every single day of his life, <laughs> has never had to be hospitalized for it. Yeah, this this show, like, <laughs> these days, CTE and head trauma are so, uh, like, such big in our consciousness, right? Like, I just had yeah. to do, like, an hour of mandatory concussion awareness training for my job. And... Back in the late 90s, it was just like, yep, head trauma here, head trauma here. You get knocked out, you get knocked out. It's just like, poor Giles at this point. It's yeah. amazing he remembers how to be a watcher. <laughs> well, I mean, we'll learn in this episode how tough Giles really is. And perhaps, mm. this is, you know, this is Willow's first tussle with a bookcase uh, falling on her. So, you know, so she's out. And Xander says that she has head trauma, so she can't, she could can wake up any time. But the longer she's out, the worse it gets. And I do want to point out that I was watching Willow's hospital room very closely because it was so odd to me because it was like half parts one of those hospital rooms where you can recover and it was half parts an emergency one because she's like not hooked up to any machines but there is like the ivy drip you know the, the baggie of water like there's there's some machines there but then there's also a lamp with like a nice little <laughs> bookshelf next to it so i was like this is weird but a, a minor detail that no one cares about buffy says is looking at her sadly and she says, I should never have let her try that curse. Angel must have known. So she thinks they attacked them because Angel had word that they were going to curse him again. And Xander says that he called Willow's parents, who were in Phoenix, and they're on their way. And Buffy asks about Oz. Like, did Xander talk to Oz? And Xander's like, oh, my God, I forgot. Yeah, we forgot about him, too. Yeah, maybe if he was around more often, <laughs> he would be top of mind. But that's when Cordelia comes in. And Xander uh, goes to her and kisses her and gives her a hug. And she's asking about Willow. And she says, the doctor started filling her in on Willow's case. And it is my personal headcanon that it was the chatty doctor who is in charge of Willow's care. And Cordelia just happened to be walking into the room. And he was like, wait, 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 let me tell you her entire condition before you go in there. Once again. This hospital has no respect for patient privacy or confidentiality, clearly. Yeah. So we missed the chatty doctor in Killed by Death, but we remember him from Nightmares. So he's definitely in the background here working his magic for the Scoobies. And Cordelia admits that she ran after they were attacked. She ran for three counties before she realized that no one was chasing her. And she says she was not too brave. So she's feeling guilty about about leaving them. And Buffy tells her it was the right thing to do. And Xander asks if Giles kept up with her. And Cordelia says she hasn't seen him. And that's when they all realize that Giles is missing. That uncomfortable moment where everybody is like, I thought he was with you. Yeah. Wait, wasn't he not with you? <laughs> yeah, awkward. So this is why you need the buddy system when you're in Sunnydale. Speaking of unconsciousness... Giles is unconscious. <laughs> He's lying on the floor of the mansion. And Angel is lying next to him on the ground waiting for him to wake up. And when he stirs, Giles says, what do you want? And Angel says that he wants to torture him. He says it's been a long time. Last time he tortured someone, they didn't even have chainsaws. Oh my. So... Giles is being flanked by two other vampires. So it's not like he can just like run away. Like he's very much stuck in this mansion with Angelus. And Angelus is in front of Akathla, the, the big demon. 
And he says that he performed all the rituals, he said the right phrases, there was blood on his hands, and nothing. So he wants Giles to tell him what he's doing wrong, but he also hopes that Giles doesn't tell him what to do because he so wants to torture him. (laughs) Oh no, oh no. So... This is an episode that's full of action, right? So we have Mm -hmm. a lot of scenes. There's a lot of scenes in this episode, but like amazing scenes. So we cut to this one where Joyce is being interrogated by the police at her house. And it's the same cop from the episode Ted, who was also super sketchy. I thought it was the same cop. Yeah. And so he like must remember this house and Joyce and Buffy and how, you know, Buffy was the suspect in Ted's (laughs) death. Yes. And... So in his mind, right, Buffy's already, like, guilty. Yeah, and it's very rude of them to be messing with Joyce's high like this, because obviously it's, like, 7 p.m., and she's already smoked her J, and she's just like, well, Buffy's probably at Willow's house. Like, why didn't you check there? And these cops are also super chatty, because he looks at his partner, and he's just, like, the second victim, (laughs) like, of Willow, right? So... Joyce is properly freaked out, and the cop just basically says, um, here's our card, call us if she comes home. We cut to Giles' house, and Buffy runs in looking for him, and Whistler is there. Remember Whistler from part one, the man who picked up Angel off the gutter and brought him to Sunnydale? And he somehow knows where Giles lives. <laughs> so, okay, here's my a nitpicky thing about this episode. Why is Whistler here? <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, Whistler, like he was in the previous episode to kind of connect some of the dots between how Angel gets to Sunnydale and helps Buffy. Mm -hmm. And then I guess he's in this episode because he's doing what Giles would normally do. But Giles is unavailable. Right. So he's just he's just here at Giles's house. Classic Whistler. Yeah. But like Buffy goes to Giles's (laughs) house, not just to check in with him, but because Giles is her center and she's going to him because she wants info and reassurance you know at this point she's panicking and she's like giles will tell me what to do yeah and i think that is the the thing to think about with this episode is in prophecy girl giles told her what to do and she said fuck you giles and punched him in the face and knocked him out Mm -hmm. because she didn't like the idea that he was going to try to save her from herself and her destiny she was willing to stand up and, and die if she needed to than that protecting people. In this episode, Giles isn't there to help her. So Buffy really has to step into that role of leader. She is a slayer without her watcher. And everything she does in this episode, it's very Buffy because it's her acting on her impulses. Yeah, because she's actually alone, right? Like you're saying, she doesn't have Giles, but this episode goes out of its way to knock down pieces of Buffy's life, like domino Mm -hmm. pieces, one by one. And even right now, right, she's alone because Giles is not available. So that's one piece right there. Yeah. So we've got a this, I would describe this as a tense exchange between Buffy and Whistler because Buffy, of course, doesn't know who this guy is. And he looks shady, right? Plus he's in Giles' house, which pretty <laughs> sure you didn't get an invite or a key. So mm. Buffy's like, Yo, what are you doing here? She doesn't even ask who he is. She's just like, what are you doing in my dad's house? <laughs> and Whistler can't resist. and He makes a joke. He's like, oh, I'm, I just need a date for the prom. <laughs> and again, this is another moment where Buffy demonstrates that she is not taking any shit because she doesn't even give him a chance to say something different she just grabs him 
and shoves him up against the wall. And, you know, he looks human. So this is giving me flashbacks to Kendra and Buffy interrogating Willie mm-hmm. in What's My Line, remember? And, you know, how Buffy at first wasn't sure about the whole beating up the human thing. And now, <laughs> now she's on board with it. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, she's like, well, I'm having a bad day. Uh, so, you know, if you've got something you can tell me, I'm grateful. Otherwise, you know, if you're just going to keep cracking jokes. And then she says, I'm going to pull out your ribcage and wear it as a hat. And (laughs) it sounds like the kind of threat that like Spike would make or something, right? Like it's a very grotesque kind of threat. So Whistler, you know, is like, okay, okay, calm down. And then he's like blaming Buffy. And he's like, you know, nobody saw this coming. (laughs) This isn't the way it was supposed to be. And he reveals something interesting, which is, he originally thought, based on his line to the powers and stuff that maneuvered him into guiding Angel, he thought that Angel was supposed to come to Sunnydale to stop a Cathla from swallowing mm-hmm. the world. So this is something we haven't learned before. And then he's like, oops, you guys kissed and he got too happy and now he's <laughs> Angelus again and uh, now he's going to end the world. So at this point, he kind of gets really serious and he says, okay, What are you going to do? What are you prepared to do? And of course, that's the question of the whole episode. Although I kind of thought we settled this last episode because Buffy was pretty gung-ho about the killing angel last episode. So I guess maybe, Whistler, you weren't paying attention to that part. Like, again, I I like this conversation. And like you said, that is a very interesting little tidbit, right? Like, whoever sent him, we we didn't know he was sent at all. We just, at this point, we're like, oh, maybe he just did it on his own. Who knows? But... Clearly, there was some sort of destiny involved with this where he thought Angel was the one to save the day. So that's cool. But like you just said, it's like, well, what are you doing here, Whistler? Like, what is the point of this conversation? Because we already know that Buffy is prepared to kill Angel. So Buffy is with us on this because Buffy realizes that he's useless. All you're doing is giving (laughs) me these cryptic messages. And this clued me in because remember Angel season one and you and I were like this fuck boy. All he does is show up, give half-baked news, a little bit of information here and there, and then he leaves and he's useless, right? So now that we know that Whistler taught Angel how to be a human... He's like, I want to be like you. Yeah, it makes what, sense. useless and cryptic? Yeah, yeah exactly. Because in the sewer, in the last episode, he literally said, I want you to teach me, but I don't want to dress like you. So sure enough, Angel doesn't dress like him, doesn't wear that stupid fedora, but he does speak in cryptic messages. So bingo, bingo. Buffy actually calls it out, basically what you and I are kind of like musing over right now. Buffy says, so what are you, some immortal demon sent down to even the score between good and evil? And Whistler more or less confirms it. He's like, wow, it's a really good guess. (laughs) You know what I mean? So this is interesting too, because you and I have talked a little bit, especially a couple episodes ago when we talked about the mayor a bit. There's like bigger things going on in the Buffyverse that the show has not revealed to us yet. And here's a little taste, right? Whistler is coming from a bigger picture that we than mm-hmm. what we know right now. Buffy says to Whistler, why don't you get off your ass and fight evil once in a while? Because I'm sick and tired of doing it myself. And Whistler says, in the end, you're always by yourself. You're all you've got. That's the point. And Buffy goes to leave. And as she leaves, Whistler calls after her. The sword isn't enough. You've got to be ready. you got to know how to use it. So make with that scene what you will, I think is a little bit pointless, but we got a couple cool little tidbits in there. 
Yeah, like, I don't know if I call it pointless, but it is, it's a scene that kind of falls flat until we get to its sequel later in the episode, right? Mm -hmm. Like, this scene just sets up Whistler being in the later scene, I think. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so... Buffy's walking down the streets of Sunnydale, once again, not being incognito. She's just like, mm, like looking so sketch. And a police officer squad car obviously pulls up and the guy pulls a gun on her again. Uh, the police officer pulls another gun on Buffy. And suddenly the police officer is knocked out from the side and we see <gasps> it's Spike! Spike is standing up, first of all, and he's saved Buffy from getting shot. And he says, hello, cutie. And Buffy immediately starts beating him up because they're mortal enemies. And he's like, truce, you know, like, I, I quit. Like, I, I'm not here to fight. And Spike says to her, if you want to stop Angel, we're going to have to play this a bit differently. He reveals that he wants to put Angel in the ground. And Buffy thinks this is a trick, which is very fair. Spike says... Angel's torturing your watcher right now. I want to stop Angel and I want to save the world, <laughs> which is like bold things to say from Spike. And of course, Buffy's like, well, I thought vampires, that was your whole thing. Like, that's what you guys want to do. And then he gives this monologue where he's like, we like to talk big, us vampires, you know, destroying the world. It's all tough guy talk. Uh, the truth is, I like this world. You've got dog racing. Manchester United <laughs> and people who walk around like Happy Meals with legs. <laughs> and <laughs> Spike is so likable. We're getting old Spike back, right? Spike from the beginning of the season. We haven't seen him in a very long time, but he's got his swagger back. Yeah, well, and he's he's emphasizing how, in contrast to Angelus, he is a vampire of the world, you know? He doesn't live outside of the world and, you know, just to eat people and torture them and cause mayhem. Spike actually enjoys aspects of humanity, which we kind of learned from the judge because the judge was mm -hmm. like, you reek of humanity. <laughs> no shit. So yeah. for Spike, you know, it makes sense that he doesn't want Angel to end the world because that would end the party. Yes, exactly. He does say that Angel could pull it off, though. If anyone's going to end the world, any vampire, Angel could do it because Angel's the biggest, baddest one. So Buffy says, why would you come to me? And Spike says that he wants Drusilla back. He doesn't want Angel to fuck his girlfriend anymore. He, he wants her back like she was before he came back. And the way she acts around him. Ooh, I'm, I'm so jealous of that guy, right? And Buffy calls him pathetic. <laughs> and then he punches her and she punches him back. So it's very violent. And Buffy is like, Yo, like, I lost my friend tonight. I almost lost my other friends. I don't know where Giles is. The whole earth is going to be sucked up into hell. And you want my help because your girlfriend is a big hoe. Yeah, it's hilarious. Like, that's such a good line. Yeah, it's so good. She's like, let me take this opportunity to not care. Because she's right. Like, yo, Spike, your problems are not my problems. <laughs> you know what I mean? I know, like, I don't know how nitpicky you and I want to be about using the word ho and like putting it toward Drusilla, who's a villain. Well, yeah, like to be like, it's not like she's slut shaming <laughs> Drusilla. Like, I think she's emphasizing, right, that like, if anything, like, Drusilla has every right to sleep with whoever she wants to sleep with. So yes. I think that's what Buffy's getting across here, right? She's not saying, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Like, yeah, Drusilla's such a ho for sleeping around. She's saying like, yeah. Spike, Drusilla's going to sleep with whomever she wants. You know, that's not my problem. 
and it's not <laughs> your problem. It's yeah. up to Drusilla, right? So I don't really see this as slut shaming. I just see her as, you know, maybe using not great language, but if anything, she's in solidarity with Drusilla in that moment. <laughs> well, I think it's also like we said earlier, right? Buffy is so done with the human stuff that's going on right now because there's a way bigger problem out there. And Spike's bringing it back to the human world where he's like, my girlfriend, like I want her back, you know? And she's mm -hmm. like, can we get it together? Kendra died. She's <laughs> dead. And your girlfriend killed her. Yeah. And so Spike hears that and he says, hey, I can't fight them both alone and neither can you. And of course, Buffy hits him really hard again. And he actually like draws a little blood. And she says, I hate you. And he says, and I'm all you've got. So this is when the cop starts stirring. He starts waking up like, Ugh. and she's like, OK, talk. And he's like, let me just go kill this guy first. And she's like, um, no. And it, I like this little exchange because, again, like Spike is so good with humor. Like is James Marsters is a really great comedic actor. So like he goes to kill him and then he's just like, oh, right. As in like, damn it, I'm with the good now. So I can't do these these things I love to do. And Buffy says, let's get inside. And they walk away together off screen. But like clearly very weary of each other. They're not taking their eyes off each other because it's like, I don't trust you. So let's cut to the hospital where Willow is still unconscious and Cordelia and Xander are watching over her. Cordelia is really sweet and offers to get Xander some coffee. So she leaves and Xander takes Willow's hand and starts urging her to wake up. He's talking to her. And he says, you got to wake up. I need you, Will. How am I going to pass Trig? Who am I going to call every night to talk about everything we did all day? You're my best friend. I love you. Just as he says, I love you, Willow starts to stir, but she does not stir and open her eyes and go, I love you too, Xander. She says, Oz? Oz? And she starts calling for Oz. And I'm like, yes, 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 yes. Because I think there's so many ways that they could have played this scene, yeah. right? Because we all know over the last two seasons, Willow has been in love with Xander. And it's only in the middle of this season where she's begun to move on. She has a boyfriend who she likes a lot. It's Oz. So for her to wake up and call for Oz, I think is a really big step. And the fact that Xander's confessing his love for her now... I don't know, because I, I personally want to think that I want to believe that he's giving a friendship confession, like he's realizing mm -hmm. how much Willow means to him as his best friend, like I love you so much. But I, I just know that the show is playing it off more that Xander's realizing his love for her here. Yeah, it's tough. You know, yeah. um, you could read it both ways. The aromantic part of me always wants to read platonic love into scenes like this because I feel like we erase platonic love too much in our media. Mm -hmm. But I agree with you. I don't necessarily think the writers are quite that sophisticated. In my mind, I don't think Xander knows what he means. I think there's both. Mm -hmm. I think there is the platonic love there of the long-standing friendship and he's afraid of losing her. But I think that he's also maybe admitting that there was an attraction there. And, you know, him being in a relationship with Cordelia now complicates things. And Willow being in a relationship with Oz now complicates things. But maybe what we're seeing is Xander just being honest with himself. Whereas, like, before he was so distracted by Buffy that he yeah. never really even took time to think about if he mm -hmm. might have feelings for Willow. So if I'm being generous, if I can have my cake and eat it too, I might say it's, it's kind of both. 
Yeah, and th- and that's fair, and that's that's definitely how I read into it too, right? I was like, wow, there's like two sides to this. I'm I'm with you. I'm I think it's really compelling to think of it as a friendship dynamic. Mm-hmm. I think that's actually a really cool way to tell the story. I just know that this is well, a WB show, and <laughs> love triangles need to be abound for the show to work sometimes. This is, yeah. and it's just it's just this is such an interesting scene because this is the first time that Willow has been in danger in this way, mm-hmm. uh, that any of them have been in danger other than Buffy like this, you yeah. know? And yes, Xander lost Jesse in season one and apparently he got over that or not. Boo-hoo. Um, <laughs> yeah. But this is oh, no. Xander. Like he's having to grapple with the fact because the chatty doctor told everybody who had listened <laughs> that Willow might never wake up and we've never been in this position before. So once again, this episode is really just hammering home that whatever happens by the end of this episode, nothing's going to be the same. And, you know, is Willow going to die here? Like after losing Jenny in passion, you know, anything could happen. So we got to keep going. Well, that's why, like, when she does say Oz, Oz, Oz is there. Oz (laughs) has arrived and he's just like, I'm here. Just in time, thank God. Like, if anything, if the chatty doctor had it be lying in wait to tell Oz everything, Oz would have showed up before. Exactly, exactly. So, I mean, this is good timing. Xander's reaction is really hard to read when Oz comes in. Another layer to this weird, weird dynamic. And as Xander leaves to go tell the chatty doctor that Will is awake so he can update his Twitter... (laughs) Oz <laughs> takes Willow by the hand and she starts talking to him. She says, my head feels big. Is it big? And Oz smiles and says, no, it's head size. And he kisses her on the forehead and it's the sweetest thing <laughs> I think I've ever seen in my whole life. So Willow asks if everyone else is okay. No, Willow. Everybody no, else is not no. okay. Oh, no. Oh, no. Everyone else is not getting this really nice reunion that you and your boyfriend are getting. Giles is being tortured in a chair in the mansion by Angelus. And I think Angelus is taking a little break, cleaning Giles's glasses for him. What is odd about this scene is that clearly Angel has been torturing Giles for a while. Uh, he's all sweaty. Not Angel Giles. He's all sweaty. <laughs> Much and- to Steph's regret. <laughs> Angel, just take off your shirt and torture him. (laughs) So Giles is, yeah, he's sweaty. He looks exhausted. He's kind of out of it and like delirious, probably from all the pain. But we don't, like his shirt is on. There's no blood. So we don't know what Angel's been doing to him. One can only use their imagination to think about what he was doing. I bet he was reading an American dictionary (laughs) and like mispronouncing words and, you know, bad grammar Yeah, yeah. Or what I would do to torture him is I would read out every single line of Xander's throughout the last two seasons and just really let him hear. I have a copy of Xander's history homework here. No, I'll tell you anything. Here's how you open a Kefla. (laughs) Anything but that. Send me to hell. Send me straight to Uh, hell. Listeners, write in and please tell us what would be your favorite Giles torture. (laughs) That's good. So, yeah, so Angel's just going to keep torturing him. So 
we cut to Buffy and Spike who are still being really weary of each other and they're approaching Buffy's house. That is when a wild Joyce appears and she is in the car. She pulls up, she runs out of the car and she is flipping out. She's like, Buffy, where have you been? Are you okay? The police were here. I've been looking for you. Who is this man? Who are you? Like She's like losing it properly. And Buffy's like, okay, let's go inside and I'll explain. And Spike is genuinely surprised that Joyce doesn't know that Buffy is the Slayer. And he says she doesn't know. And Buffy's like, oh, that we are in a rock band. (laughs) Well, also, does Joyce not recognize Spike from Schoolheart, right? Because she threatened Spike. Yes. She ran him off. Yeah, you'd think you'd recognize this bleach blonde tall man but she i mean i think she's just overwhelmed at the moment she's like focused on buffy so (laughs) spike says that buffy plays the triangle and buffy's like no the drums and they have this funny exchange where clearly joyce is not buying it and she's like well what do you play and spike's like well i sing (laughs) to be fair though that would be a sweet band Yeah, I would I would definitely go see them play at the bronze. So Buffy says, okay, let's go inside and talk. And Joyce is like, I don't know how I feel by, about this. And that is when they are attacked by a vampire who I think is Asian. <laughs> like, uh, I love how excited you get about vampire minority representation. <laughs> well, just because remember, I, fe- I don't know. I forget which episode it was, but it wasn't yeah. too long ago where there was another Asian vampire that... <laughs> Buffy staked and this could probably be the same stuntman for all we know right (laughs) but apparently these vampires only feed off the Asian community in Sunnydale because they're all Asian (laughs) so (laughs) so anyway uh, Spike punches him a bit Buffy stakes him he dusts right in front of Joyce and Spike says that's probably one of Angel's boys that's one of Angel's boys and Buffy's like yeah probably watching me or you. And Spike is like, well, now he can't tattle. And that's when Joyce is like, Buffy, what is going on? And Buffy's like, Mom, I'm a vampire slayer. And Joyce just stares. Bomb drop! <laughs> Two seasons later, Buffy tells <sighs> Joyce. But mind you, I mean, to be fair, Buffy's told Joyce this at least twice. Once in the episode mm-hmm. Witch, and once in Bad Eggs. Mm-hmm. She said that she's a vampire slayer. And Joyce, each time, was just like, You're crazy. Yeah, but she has proof this time. So there's no way she could possibly deny it now, right? Surely. I guess we'll have to find out how Joyce takes that. So we cut to Willow, who's being served Jello from Oz, because Oz is an angel boy. And I love Jello. And I'm... Ugh. Willow, you don't know what you have. You don't know how good it gets. So... Willow's talking to Buffy on the phone and she says like she I know who I am I know who's president I I know how many fingers I have so my brain isn't all mushed up from her brief unconsciousness and she says she's sorry that she couldn't cure Angel and Buffy says it wasn't meant to be and she she knows that she'll never get him back the way he was and it this just makes it easier so Willow I want you to just just think about this for a second Hear that, Willow, because sometimes not doing magic makes things easier (laughs) for the people around you. Let's just hold on to that. So Willow asks if she's had any luck finding Giles, and Buffy says she got a lucky break, but you'll never believe from where. And (laughs) that's when we cut to Joyce and Spike, who are sitting so awkwardly (laughs) in the living room together, like so uncomfortably. Joyce and Spike, I gotta say... (laughs) Yeah. We see them in, in some scenes together in the future. They are like my favorite pairing. 
Because there's just something about, you know, Joyce is oh, so yeah. uptight when she's not stoned. <laughs> and Spike, like Spike has this politeness about him, right? Like if he needs to be polite, he'll be polite. So yeah. like they get along and I would watch <laughs> a spinoff where Joyce and Spike solve crimes. I'm just putting yes. that out there. Make it happen. We want it. We need it. Uh, yeah, I totally agree with you. Their dynamic is is actually really endearing. So Buffy is talking to Xander on the phone now, and she says, "Remember that mansion on Crawford Street? Like that's where all the vampires are." I like it's just like this big abandoned mansion that they all know about. It's like Buffy, you should have thought to look there before. But Buffy says she's going to hit it up by daybreak. He says you're going to need backup, and she says I have that covered, and. Xander asks her if she thinks Giles is still alive, and Buffy says she thinks he is, and she wishes that he was there to tell her what to do. So that's really sweet, I think, because again, we're saying Buffy is here alone. She's left without her watcher. She's making the choices. She's making the calls. And we're used to Buffy making the calls at this point, but Giles is always there to back her up. Exactly. So we cut back to the living room. Joyce uh, is now asking Spike, have we met? And Spike's like, oh, yeah, you, you hit me with an axe one time. Remember? Get the hell away from my daughter. <laughs> so funny. And Joyce is like, okay, well, do you live here in town? Like, she's just trying to, like, fill the void of silence. I get that. I do that, too. If there's silence, I'll, I will fill it with anything I have in my brain. And Buffy comes in and she's like, all right, let's talk. What's the deal? And Spike and, Spike and Joyce stand up and Spike says, it's simple. You let me and Drew skip town and I will help you kill Angel. And while Buffy and Spike are having this exchange, Joyce interjects once in a while. So here she's just like, Angel, your boyfriend. <laughs> like She's trying to keep up with what's going well, on. Well, yeah, because she's only seen things from her point of view. Yes. You know, like if we read a novel or if we got a Joyce episode where like all we saw were things from Joyce's point of view. Yeah. It would be so fascinating because she's always just missing stuff. <laughs> it's true and Buffy says forget about Drusilla she doesn't walk and Spike says well there's no deal without Drew and Buffy says she killed Kendra and Spike is like happy about that right because he's just like Drew begged a slayer she didn't tell me good for her <laughs> and then he realizes oh wait I'm, once again I'm on the good side right now so he's like well I suppose not from your point of view or not from your perspective <laughs> and Joyce is like oh so you didn't kill that girl did she explode like that man out there and Buffy's like no mom she was a slayer like me and Spike says the deal works one way full stop me and Drew for Angel I'll take her out of the country and you'll never hear from us again I bloody well hope <laughs> and Buffy says fine go back to the mansion and make sure Giles is all right and back me up when I make my move. And before Spike leaves, she warns him. She says, if Giles dies, she dies. Fair enough. Yeah. So <laughs> Spike leaves. I love this scene. I love oh, everything so about it. I love Joyce just being confused oh, yeah. and chiming in. I love Buffy's take charge attitude, the way she's she's negotiating with Spike. So, you know, she's a 17-year-old girl holding her own against this 200-year-old vampire. She's doing great. But also, like, this is our first time seeing Buffy forming a truce or a temporary alliance with evil. And it's not going to be the last time. And that's going to be an important conversation for this show is, like, you can't fight evil without, at some point, having to compromise yourself. And the question always becomes, 
how much are you willing to compromise yourself? How much are you willing to get into bed with evil to fight Mm -hmm. a greater evil? Beggars can't be choosers, right? Buffy, like we keep saying, is on her own. It's just opportune that Spike is there to not so much help her out. He's helping himself out. Mm -hmm. But the point is, is that she has backup now and Spike's a fighter. So this is a good thing. And I will say, like, you know, we haven't seen it in so long, but this dynamic between Buffy and Spike, like these two characters work really well together because they are enemies. Spike's a great character. Spike's funny. He's charismatic. And we are seeing more of that humanity side of him. We've seen it obviously play out throughout the season, but I like how you put it earlier. He's tied to this human world, which is why he can sit so comfortably in this living room with Joyce, whereas Angelus wouldn't be able to do that (laughs) because he's like the big bad villain. So I really like this dynamic between the two. So that's when he leaves and Joyce says, (laughs) she says these things that (laughs) are wild. She's like, have you tried not being a slayer? Uh, Is it because you didn't have a strong father figure? Is that why? Like, is that why you're the way you are? <laughs> and I've never... Okay. And obviously, these are very big parallels to when someone comes out as being gay or queer. Interesting. I didn't think about it that way. Oh, really? That's all I could think about when she said stuff like, are you sure you're a slayer? I was thinking about it as, like, Joyce is blaming herself for not being a good parent and for the broken family, right? And for this putting pressure on Buffy and Buffy's now snapped, right? Because, I, oh. you know, Joyce is viewing this as Buffy is delusional, which, you know, like, I see where you're coming from. I'm not saying you're wrong. I, I actually think that's a really great reading, you know, because I agree mm-hmm. with you that there are a lot of parents who do not accept their children's identities. And uh, sometimes that can be, you know, you're delusional. There's no such thing as being gay or being gay is a sin or whatever. And, well... You know, yeah, like, I agree with you. So thank you for bringing up that very interesting point of view. Well, thank you for bringing up your point of view, because this is, like, so interesting that we have two ways of looking at what she's saying. It's the very quote of, have you tried not being a slayer? As in, like, have you tried not being gay? Because I think that's right. a very common phrase to, to give to somebody when you're not accepting their coming out. And... I actually, I like how you're like, I like what you're saying. I like what you're saying because (laughs) I've never thought about Buffy being a slayer as a parallel to to someone being gay. And I think that's because of all the negativity that Buffy sees in being a slayer, especially for the Mm -hmm. first couple seasons where she's like trying to get away from it. She actually hates that side of her life and all that stuff. Yeah, but that's the way a lot of closeted queer teenagers behave so yeah yeah for sure and that's what i mean like that's that's the parallel i did see but i don't like it as much as i like what you're seeing where joyce is actually thinking the problem was her and something that she didn't provide to buffy to make her a slayer (laughs) a violent but like my reading works with your reading it's just i'm i'm putting more emphasis into the fact that you know the police have planted this seed in joyce's mind that buffy Mm -hmm. is dangerous right like she is perhaps like psychotic so that's where i'm coming from and if anything like you know if we're talking about marginalizations so in addition to the queer reading you know we could see this as a parallel with having mental illness right some like you know somebody having schizophrenia and thinking you know hearing voices and thinking that they have this great mission to save the world from vampires so we could also see this as joyce responding very poorly to the idea, at least in her mind, 
that Buffy is having some kind of mental illness. Yeah, and that's a big theme here too, right? Obviously, that's a really great reading on this because in the past too, when Buffy said, I was killing vampires, like when she was late to meet her at the mall, and she looks at her and she's just like, I don't know what goes on in your head. So we can see that connection of her comparing Buffy's announcements <laughs> that she slays demons as, okay, my daughter might be mentally ill, right? I think there's yeah. definitely a connection there. So Ooh. things go downhill fast from here because Buffy's response is, it's just fate, mom. Accept it. <laughs> so this is interesting, right? Because this is Buffy basically fully embracing being a slayer. Mm-hmm. Um, and Joyce at this point... She just kind of drops that part and she's like, I need to do something. So she's like, I'm going to go call the police. And Buffy says, no, don't do that. They can't handle what's going on in Sunnydale, which, yeah, Buffy's right. Fair enough. Yes. So Joyce doesn't understand because, you know, Joyce is a typical middle class American white woman. Yeah. And her... This is her instinct, right? Is when things go sideways, you call the police because the police are not a threat to you. No. And she has this naivety that she can just explain everything to the nice police officers and it will all go away. You know, she could be like, my daughter didn't kill that person. My daughter says she's a vampire. Like, Joyce, (laughs) how do you think this conversation is going to go? But this is the thing is she's not thinking, right? She's on autopilot. Her brain is mush at this point because she's having so much trouble processing what's going on. But, you know, she's on autopilot. And and Buffy's like, you know, I can't do this. You can't call the police. Like, that's such a wrong move. Mm -hmm. And Joyce just wants to understand. Like, I think she's really trying here. And Buffy isn't giving her much more to work off of. And the the thing about this scene is they're both right. You know, Mm -hmm. I understand where Joyce is coming from here. Um, and Buffy's just so fixated on fixing this immediate problem of I need to rescue Giles and deal with Angelus that she's not giving her mom the time to process and, you know, answer her questions and stuff that her mom does deserve. So I, I get it. Well, again, that's that balance between her human life and her mm-hmm. slayer life, right? Joyce is in her human life and she needs her to take time, sit down and explain what happened to her. Just like she wanted to sit down and talk about Buffy after she found out that Buffy had sex. She wanted to have that conversation. So this is another conversation yeah. where she, she and I, to be fair, I think Joyce deserves an explanation. I agree. A bigger one. <laughs> I think it's fair to want that. But like we said, Buffy has been juggling these two sides of her life. Right now, her slayer life does demand her attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so Joyce, literally, she demands an explanation. And Buffy's retort is pretty good. She's like, open your eyes, mom. Like, I've been doing this for two years. <laughs> You've washed blood out of my clothes. You know, like, all this weird stuff going on in Sunnydale. How could you not notice? And this is the show kind of calling out the cluelessness of the other humans in Sunnydale. Like, Joyce, clearly there's something going on. But Joyce's response to it is to smoke her joint and ignore it. Yeah, And Joyce, she's overcorrecting now, right? Because she's like, I'm, I've been a bad mother. This is why Buffy is this way. Mm-hmm. So she's like, it stops now. I'm putting my foot down. No more slaying for you. And yeah. like, we're watching this and it's hilarious. But Buffy's reaction. Oh, so Buffy gives this little speech. She says, no, it doesn't stop. It never stops. Do you think I chose to be like this? Do you have any idea 
how lonely it is, how dangerous. I would love to be upstairs watching TV or gossiping about boys or, God, even studying. But I have to save the world again. And so, you know, the idea that she'd rather be studying, like, it's funny, <laughs> but this is just one of so many emotionally charged moments in this episode where it's like, so Buffy good. has embraced being a slayer. That doesn't mean she likes it. It doesn't mean she's happy for the consequences. And Joyce just can't process this. So Joyce, you know, she rejects. She rejects everything she's seen. Vampire being dusted right in front of her rejects it because we humans are really, really good at cognitive dissonance and saying, you know, I'm just going to like not pay attention to that. So Joyce says to Buffy, like, you need help. You are crazy. And Buffy's like, I'm not crazy. Mom, like, calm down. I gotta go save the world. Yeah. Uh, this is where Joyce says, I'm not letting you out of the house. You know, she's putting her foot down, which... You're too late, Joyce. The time to put your foot down would have been like a year and a half ago when you were letting Buffy go out to the bronze on a weekday night. <laughs> Walking um, by herself there. Right? <laughs> yep. Uh, and Buffy says, you can't stop me. And Joyce puts herself in front of the door. So Buffy literally like moves her mom, throwing her against the kitchen island. It's quite scattering physical. Scattering some cutlery. Yeah. It is. It's like, very it's scary. Physical. And it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's not okay. I think we should say that, right? Like, yeah. That's not an okay thing to do. No. But I understand where Buffy's coming from. And I understand where Joyce is coming from. I don't yeah. think Joyce deserves a lot of her hate here for not believing Buffy and stuff. No. It must be so difficult. She loves her daughter. She's seeing things, you know, that are disrupting her daughter's life and her happiness as far as she's, she's concerned. So, you know, this is a heartbreaking scene because as Buffy leaves... The last thing Joyce says is, if you walk out that door, don't you think about coming back? Which is like the most over-the-top and dramatic thing a TV parent can ever say to their kid when they're fighting. Yeah. But, you know, it, it has weight here because of the conflict from this whole scene. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's been escalating, it's been escalating, they've been fighting, obviously, and I think Buffy, the physicalness of her pushing her mother into the kitchen island, like, that, that's big, and I think yeah, that's but... the moment that needed to happen to push Joyce to say, if you leave, you cannot come back, because that's a, for, like, that's a terrible thing to say to your child, to your yeah. child that's a minor, because Buffy's 17 years old, and it's not like you're kicking out your 25-year-old kid that has mm. a, that has a drinking problem or is getting up to bad shit. It, this is a minor who doesn't have any other options. Yeah. I don't know. This is hard. It's, it's just really hard, because like you're saying, we can see where both of them are coming from. This escalated very quickly. And when Buffy leaves, when she she's like, okay, so she left the door open and she just, she leaves because she has her responsibilities to the world. And Joyce looks down because you know that she automatically regretted saying that. Yeah. And who hasn't been pushed to say something they don't really mean in the heat of the moment? So, so this is like you were saying earlier, Steph, we've got Buffy's human world and her Slayer world. And this is Buffy making the decision. I'm turning my back on my human world, you know? And her pushing her mom is such a final act. Buffy knows she can't go back. 
but she's saying my duties as the Slayer and my duties to my friend matter more than me staying and talking to my mom and convincing her right now. Because if I do that, well, A, the world's going to end, but also Giles is going to die. So Buffy has had to make this choice. She can't have both, she thinks. And that's the side she's chosen. That's why that scene's so good, because we totally get where they're both coming from. They're both in the right and the not the wrong, even. Like, they're just both... Well, they, they both do things that are very regrettable and very harmful. Yes. And poor, poor Joyce, who just wanted a little explanation, but there's no time, Joyce. There's simply no time. So we cut to the hospital where Willow is telling the Scoobies that she wants to try the curse again. And Xander says he doesn't like it because she just came out of a coma, basically. So she's messing with powerful magic and she's weak. Cordelia jumps in. She's like, you should listen to him. I mean, your hair, your <laughs> lips, like you're, Thanks, you're, not looking, <laughs> you're not looking your best self right now. I, and, I will um, <laughs> say one of my small disappointments about this episode is how little Cordelia gets to do. Yeah, I mean, right now her and Oz are going to go off and get Willow supplies. So that's like a task that they can both do. But we don't even see them do it. Like, how great would it be to see Cordelia in the magic shop? <laughs> yeah, getting what they need. Well, it's funny because Oz, who we have keep we, we keep saying, where have you been, Oz? Because he doesn't know. He's like, what are you guys talking about? Like, what is happening? And Willow sends them off. And I, what I think is funny about the scene is that Willow sends Cordy and Oz to go get her magic supplies from the school that they left behind. She tells Xander to go to Buffy. And tell Buffy that they're going to try and curse Angel again. And I was like, it's so funny that she sent the two people who can drive together to go get the <laughs> the materials. And she sends Xander to walk to Buffy. And it's just funny because we don't see Xander again till like, you know, when it's light out and he catches up with Buffy. I'm like, it's because he's been walking the whole time. <laughs> I just thought that was really funny. So... Xander tells Willow to be careful, and he leaves. So we cut to Angel, who is telling Giles that he's very brave, but it's over. And it's time to tell him how to open a Cathla. And Giles is looking pretty bad. He's in rough shape. But he does say to him, like, okay, I'm going to tell you, in order to be worthy, you must perform the ritual in a tutu, you pillock. (laughs) Ripper, you are sexy as hell. That is so good. I love it. And Angel gets super pissed and he's like, where's the chainsaw? Like he's ready to cut this guy up. And that's when Spike wheels in on the wheelchair and says, let's not lose our tempers. You cut him up. You'll never get your answers. You'll never get to destroy the world. There are other ways to get your answers. And that's when he calls Drusilla over and he's like, do you want to play a game? So, ooh, what are these vampires up to? Buffy is entering the library, a.k.a. the crime scene, to get the weapons. And isn't it amazing that the police officers who put the yellow tape up and there's even like a chalk outline of Kendra's body. It's a whole crime scene. But they didn't seem to take any of the magic ingredients and supplies that were you know all over the table they didn't take the bag of weapons that was on the ground with the giant sword well and normally a crime scene is secured right like they'd have somebody standing watch snyder standing watch i guess that's when Snyder walks in and he calls Buffy a criminal and Buffy says the police will figure out that I didn't do it and Snyder says in case you haven't noticed the police of Sunnydale are deeply stupid 
<laughs> I just love, you know, because previously he's been talking to the police chief and stuff, and he's just throwing them under the bus. <laughs> so funny. And then he's like, okay, it doesn't matter because you've proved too much of a liability to the school. And then he takes a moment and he's just like, ah, these are the moments that you want to savor. You wish time would stop so you could relive it over and over again. Then he just like, you're expelled. <laughs> and oh no, oh no, Buffy pulls out the sword. And I think she's trying to look intimidating to him, right? She pulls out the sword, she holds it up, and she just looks at him and she says, you never got a single date in high school, did you? <laughs> and Snyder's like, your point being. <laughs> and Buffy just walks past him and walks out. And as she leaves, Snyder pulls out a cell phone. And I'm like, whoa, cell phone. I don't think we've seen a cell phone on here yet. And calls somebody and he says, tell the mayor I have good news. <laughs> Ooh, okay, so here we go. So so here here's another domino piece, right? We I mean, arguably you could say we lost a soldier because Kendra died at the beginning of the episode. We lost Giles there to help her and advise her in her journey. We lost her mother and her tie to the human world was her mother and her safe place of home. And mm -hmm. now we're losing her education and her, yeah. her schooling. So we're losing a lot of things here. We cut to the mansion. Drusilla is hypnotizing Giles, very similar to the way she hypnotized Kendra at the end of last episode, where she's like, look into my eyes, be in me. And she <laughs> says, see with your heart. And suddenly we see Jenny. It's <gasps> your face, <gasps> Jenny. And Giles opens his eyes and Jenny is, is kneeling right in front of him. And... Giles is so happy to see her like Rupert, 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 Anthony Stewart head is fucking selling this shit because he looks, he's like Jenny, like the way he says, he's like, Jenny, like, ah, mm -hmm. so sad. Yeah. And he's like, I thought I lost you. And Jenny shushes him and she's like, I'd never leave you. And she's like caressing his face and being very intimate with him and very close and whispering. It's very, very ASMR. I don't know. Do you know what ASMR is? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I fucking love ASMR. And this was like giving me like relaxing chills. I was like, oh, I this like, is nice. I like to listen to ASMR videos of somebody using a palette knife to paint. I find the, nice. the sound of the knife scratching its canvas really, really relaxing. Nice, nice. I, I, I like the personal touch of like the whispering <laughs> when someone like gives you like positive affirmations, but it's yeah, all in whispers. I, I, I actually love did that. that to fall asleep last night before going to work today. Oh my gosh. So if any listeners out there do ASMR, please send us your ASMR because we like mm -hmm. it. So Giles says, it can't be you. And Jenny, aka Drusilla, says, did you tell Angel about the ritual? And Giles keeps saying that we need to get him away from Akathla. And Jenny's like, you know, pushing and pushing. She's like, tell me what to do. It's all right. We'll be together. Finally, we'll have everything we never got to have. Like, ugh, ugh. So sad. And Giles says, we have to get Angel away from Akathla. And Jenny asks if he's the key. And Giles says, it's his blood. Then Jenny kisses him. But boom, it's actually Drusilla, who is now full out making out with Giles. And as they're making out, Angel is like coming to a realization. And he's just like, of course, like my blood, it's my life. The blood must be my own. Like, oh, he's like, of course, of course, of course. Right. Angel's like, okay, got what I needed, kill him. And Spike is like, well, what if he's lying? And Angel's like, you know what, good point, don't kill him. And then he like compliments Spike on being like a good right-hand man. And something I think that Spike did 
in his time in a wheelchair since surprise i think spike who when we met him he was calculated and he was good at strategy but he also was really brash and spontaneous too right so his plans were always like within the next 24 hours they weren't like long-term plans really so i think his time of like sitting back and letting angel take the wheels i think he learned a little bit of perspective (laughs) because i just think that overall he played this really well from the time he realized he could walk to now and he hatched a much larger plan and alliance and something that's actually working for him right now so watching him lie to angel and so easily right Mm -hmm. where he's like well if you use the chains on him he's gonna die and you can't kill him now because you might need him like right he's just he's he's doing it really really well and he's playing it really close to his chest it's really quite delicious Delicious is a great way to describe it. You're just like, wow, Spike is so good right now. So really enjoying uh, this storyline So, so for him. while they're talking, Drew is <laughs> yep. still making out with Giles. And Spike <laughs> yeah. is like, um, Drew, Drew, honey. And Angel <laughs> has the same reaction. She's like, uh, Drew. And so finally she pulls herself away. And she has this utterly like feral look on her. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. I was in the moment. <laughs> Weren't we all? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I'm sure, Steph, if, if you were making out with Giles in order to get information from him, you'd get into it. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. So good for good for Drusilla, in my opinion. So, so we cut to Giles' house where Buffy is coming back looking for Whistler, and she asks him how to use the sword. And Whistler says, Angel's the key. His blood will open the door to, ke- to hell. Akatha will open the vortex and Angel's blood will close it again. One blow will send them both back to hell, but I strongly suggest that you get there before that happens. The faster you kill Angel, the easier it will be. And he says, it's all on the line. And Buffy says she can deal. She has nothing else to lose. So she leaves and Whistler says, wrong kid. You've got one more thing. So, okay. And that's the last time I think we ever see Whistler. (laughs) All right, this scene, here it is. (laughs) It's daybreak. Xander's been walking around all night long and finally made it to the mansion. Or maybe he was hiding in the bush waiting for her to walk by. I don't know. Buffy's marching with the sword toward the mansion. And she says, you're not here to fight. You get Giles and then you run like hell. I can't protect you. I'll be too busy killing. And Xander stops her before they keep going. And he says... Willow, she told me to tell you, dot, dot, dot. And Buffy's like, tell me what? And she looks at him and he says, kick his ass. <sighs> All right. I have two words for this statement. The audacity. <laughs> the audacity of Xander Harris to say kick your... God. Okay. <sighs> It's okay. Take your time, Steph. I understand your anger here. It's <sighs> just it's just when you get to the scene after building and building to this episode and this scene all season, possibly all season one, it, it just it wants to come pouring out of my mouth. But here it is. Xander does not tell Buffy what Willow's plan is. And that is a betrayal. Mm-hmm. That is a betrayal. And... It's a selfish one, and it's one that I think is 
a decision driven by jealousy and his hate of Angel. Angel before he was Angelus. Angel yeah. when Buffy and Angel were together. You and I have been building up this case for this whole season since Prophecy Girl even when Xander and Angel are like, oh, you love her. Yeah, I love her. And then it's like, you know, this whole thing. So here it is. This is the combination of what Xander does with his jealousy. And it's not even the fact that he could even have a point. Maybe Angel does need to die. This is something you and I discussed in the last episode. But the betrayal comes from him taking the agency away from Buffy to make that decision. He is basically saying that not only is Buffy unable to make the right decision, but he also disrespects Willow's command in this situation as well. Both of these women made a choice and he took it away from them. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, but in this ranking system of who's in charge, Buffy is the leader. Buffy is the chosen one, because the slayer. Buffy, <laughs> Giles, Willow, Willow Cordelia. Cordelia, Oz, <laughs> or so sick. <laughs> I would, I would honestly say that Zabuto, Kendra's watcher from Jamaica, has more say than Xander, and the fact that he just takes it upon himself. To make this decision for the team is outrageous. It's a betrayal. It's disgusting. I hate it. I hate him. Again, we never actually, I mean, minor spoiler here, but we never actually get the reason for what he did this for. But all of the evidence over the past 22 episodes is pointing to him wanting Angel gone because he's hated him from day one because Buffy loved him. Yeah, so I completely agree with you, Steph, and I don't have a ton of other observations to add. But, you know, if you're asking, like, where is that you're coming from here, I'm going with your version. I know there's, like, one listener out there who's still listening to our podcast for some reason, uh, despite our Xander slander, who's all about the Xander pander. And uh, so for that listener, I will say... Maybe Xander thinks that he's making this easier on Buffy because if he puts it in Buffy's head that maybe there's a chance Angel can come back, she's going to hesitate and then it's going to hurt her more when she has to kill him. So that would be the generous Xander pandering way of looking at his actions here. But (laughs) we don't have to look at it that way. (laughs) No, we don't. I'm with you on... (laughs) He's just being, you know, a selfish jerk. Yeah, he's being a fucking douche and I am pissed. And this is always, this is, I mean, this, just this very simple sentence, kick his ass. This is something that Buffy fans have been arguing over probably like since this aired, you know, decades ago. (sighs) Like, it's just, it feels really good to get it out because again, I I kept bringing up his tendency to lean into jealousy over the past Mm -hmm. season because I knew that this scene was coming up. (laughs) But the case is clear. Xander is a jealous asshole and he made a choice for Buffy that wasn't his to make. How dare he? Okay, so that's (laughs) end scene. Let us move on. Angel is performing the ritual and Drusilla and Spike are at his side and Willow is preparing her ritual in the hospital with Cordelia and Oz helping her. It's a ritual race. Stop <laughs> your engines. 
And the thing is, again, I truly believe that the chatty doctor is doing what he has to do in the background because no one is going to come in and right? bother Willow while she lights Nobody's candles. Nobody's like, why do you have all this stuff in your hospital room? No, the chatty doctor has their back. He's keeping the well, nurses out. <laughs> well, and for anybody who's been in a hospital, right? And I say this with love because nurses, you've had a tough time these past couple of years, especially. I love you all. But anybody who has stayed in a hospital knows that the nurses seldom show up when you want them to. And then the moment you're in the middle of something else, that's when they show up to change your IV bag or, you know, whatever. So <laughs> it's true. like, the moment, you know, in real life, the moment Willow starts performing her Wiccan ritual, yeah. a nurse would show up and be like, oh, you know, time to do something to you. You know, something very embarrassing. Your friend should yeah. leave. <laughs> No, no, the chatty doctor put a do not disturb sign on the door and left them to it because he uh, knows what's up. So Angel cuts his hand with a knife and it starts to bleed. And that's when Buffy comes in and decapitates one of their vampire minions. And it's, it's pretty a bold strokes, Buffy. Like, I know she said, well, wait for me to make my, my question. move. Why doesn't Buffy carry a sword all the time? This seems like a much better <laughs> way to kill vampires than, than staking them. Like, because, you know, it's a bit more of a range weapon. Yeah, but you know what? Like, you got to go with tradition sometimes. Like, if you like, stick to the heart, it's just, there's, you know, it sounds yeah. great. So that's when Angel looks genuinely annoyed to see her. He's like, I don't have time well, for you. Because she says, hello, lover, oh, which is so what good. he said to her in the cemetery last episode. So she's throwing mm -hmm. those words back in his face. Buffy, you are my hero. And Angel says, I don't have time for you. And Buffy says, you don't have a lot of time left. Ooh, I like the swagger she's got. And Angel says, do you really think you can take us all on? And Buffy says, no, I don't. And that's when Spike stands up and starts wailing on Angel with a fireplace poker or some sort of crowbar. I don't know what it is. So, ooh, the element of surprise, right? So Spike is dealing with Angel as Buffy starts to fight with the other remaining vamp. And this was a good find of Angel's because this guy's a really good fighter. Well, I, I was just thinking, like, the choreography for the fights has improved so much since season one. <sighs> So good. So good. And here's the thing. Okay, so right now, Buffy's fighting with her fists with this one vampire. Later, her and Angel will have an epic sword fight. And it's mm -hmm. so fucking good. And I'm just going to say it here and then we'll we'll put it to bed. When they pan back and you see that it's the stunt doubles, yes. it's very obvious that it is not I, I had the David exact and same Sarah. Note, so I'm glad you brought it up because I was going to mention it. Because, yeah, they, they, they cut. They have the close-up shots of Buffy or Angel, and yeah. then they cut to these wide kind of overhead crane shots of Buffy and Angel, but it's so obviously stunt doubles, and yep. I, I suspect that this is the result of upsampling the SD footage for HD release, right? So, like, yeah. you know, Buffy was originally filmed on standard definition 4x3 cam camera film, uh, it was remastered, and so, you know, when you were watching this on your crappy TV in 1998, it didn't matter. Like, you might still have seen the stunt doubles if you were really looking for it, but it would have been hard to see. But nowadays, we're watching it all on 32, 42, 52-inch <laughs> plasma screens, and it's being upsampled and remastered 
um, much to many Buffy fans' dismay, because the remastering did not go very well. Um, and so, like, these production details are far more obvious. I don't think it detracts from the episode. I just think it's hilarious. I, I just think it's very clear <laughs> when yeah. they're fighting. Mind you, I do, I will also give credit to David and Sarah, who clearly worked very hard behind the scenes for their close-up parts with the sword, mm -hmm. which looked really good. So you take what you can get, right? So as Spike is beating on Angel, Drusilla ends up attacking Spike. <laughs> and that's when a Xander runs in. He goes to save Giles. And as Drusilla and Spike are fighting, Spike says, I don't want to hurt you, baby. And then he punches her and says, doesn't mean I won't. <laughs> so Xander finds Giles and starts to untie him. And Giles is really out of it. And he's like, you're not real. It's a trick. They they get inside my head. They make me see things that, that I want. And Xander like leans down next to Giles and says, then why would they make you see me? So and Giles funny. is like, right, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> let's go. And this is what I like is this is a really dark and serious and sad episode. But there's still all of these moments of humor and this is something I truly appreciate about Buffy as a series, which I think a lot of series since then have tried to replicate this to varying degrees of success, but nobody did it like Buffy did. Yeah, this is so satisfying. It's one of the final jokes. I think there's one more that I laugh at, and then it's just tears until the end. So I do also think it's really funny that Xander is acknowledging that Giles doesn't like him. <laughs> And again, like, I think Giles and Xander were okay. Like, they, I think they butt heads a lot, but they were okay until Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered, where Giles, like, unleashed on Xander for being a stupid piece of shit. And then they never actually did anything after that with the two of them, right? So I just think it's funny that he acknowledges. He's like, why the hell would you see me if you want to see something you like? And um, they take off. So Angel is bouncing back from getting beat up with a crowbar very quickly. He still looks handsome. Don't worry, everybody. His face is intact. And he grabs the sword with his bloody hand, the sword that's stuck in a kaffa, and he pulls it out. Oh, my God. He's starting the apocalypse by pulling it out. It glows like a big white color. And then he has the sword and a kaffa is being awoken. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. So... Drusilla looks and she says, oh, here he comes. And that's when Spike comes up behind her and starts to choke her. Why he's choking her, I don't know, because she doesn't breathe. But you, you know what? Let's not get caught up on that. So Willow is performing the spell at the hospital and it's getting more and more intense as, as it goes. Angel faces Buffy and they both have swords now. And he says... My boy, Akafla, is about to wake up. You know, my boy, Akafla. <laughs> my boys. <laughs> like, Me and the boys are just... about to come fuck you up. <laughs> oh, dear. Angel, you're too white. Both Angel, both me and Angel, we're too white to say that. <laughs> so I really like this, this quote, though, because he says, you're going to hell. And Buffy says, save me a seat. Ooh, Buffy came to play today. So they start to fight. This is the epic sword fight that we just talked about. It's it's awesome. It's great. It, it's, it like takes it all across the mansion. It goes outside at one point. Like, it's so good. It's fine. It's fine. It'll it'll do. <laughs> Let's not get too ahead of ourselves. Like it's it's fine. <laughs> and I don't know what I like about the idea of sword fighting right now. Like we've seen Buffy train. We know Buffy can fight with swords. She can fight with a lot of stuff. When did Angel, when he was a vampire, take sword lessons? He's had two hundred years, right? And 
You have to remember, (laughs) swords were a lot more common back when he was young. That's fair. Uh, And they do seem very evenly matched in this fight, and Angel even manages to scratch Buffy on the arm. And this is when Willow, who's who's saying the incantations, and she's getting more and more, like, weary-looking, she starts fumbling with her breathing, and then suddenly she looks directly up, and then directly down and forward, like, very intensely staring, and she starts saying the incantations without reading anything. She's just speaking Latin now. I don't know what she's speaking, but she doesn't normally know how to speak it so fluently. So it's like she's possessed at this point. Yeah, and Oz even says, he. Oz looks at Cordelia and he's like, is this a good thing? And Cordelia's like, hey, speak English. <laughs> like, <laughs> But like the, the reins are out of their hands, you guys. Like Willow's got this now or something's got Willow. And Buffy and Angel, like I said, they, the fight, ends up going out into the garden, which is conveniently in shadows this this morning, so Angel can be outside and fight. And we hear wind whistling as Akathla begins to waken. Angelus is able to kick the sword out of Buffy's hands, and she falls to the ground. And that's when Spike, who has managed to knock out Drusilla, picks her up. And this is actually when I first realized how small and dainty Drusilla is, was when he scoops her up into his arms. He starts to walk out with her and he pauses at the door and he looks back and he sees Angel with his sword advancing on a weaponless Buffy and he says, God, he's going to kill her. And then he pauses and then he just shrugs and leaves. So spiked. Yeah, yeah, so funny. Um, so that's the last joke. So enjoy it, everybody. Relish it because from now on. Oh, I think there's one. There's one more. Oh, there's later. one. Okay, all right. There's one more. Okay, so here, this is it, you guys. This is it. This is the reason I love this episode so much. Okay, take a take a deep breath, Stephanie. <sighs> and okay, okay. <sighs> Angel is approaching Buffy, who is huddled against the wall, and she's looking up at him as he approaches her. And he says, so that's everything, huh? No weapons, no friends, no hope. And this is when Buffy closes her eyes. Angela says, take all that away and what's left. Then he violently thrusts the sword forward to deal the killing blow. And just as he almost hits her face, Buffy takes her two hands and slaps them together and stops the sword with her bare hands right in front of her face at the last moment and she opens her eyes and she looks at him and she says me Buffy you're so fucking awesome oh my god oh my god and she thrusts the sword back at Angel and the back of it hits his face instead and he recoils (sighs) like that is the best line in the series for me that gets me every time what's left It's me. I'm the one thing that's left. You can take away everything I have, but at the end of the day, I have myself. This is the message the show is giving us. I fucking love it. It's too good. It's all right. (laughs) It's it's fine. (laughs) She'll do. She'll do. It's just whatever I think of Buffy, I think of that line. It gets me. So Buffy gets up. She picks up her sword and the fight continues. But Buffy is coming at him stronger and faster, stronger, better, faster. <laughs> and um, Spike and Drusilla are driving away in the muddy car with the small little opening at the front. <laughs> and Spike is pulling Drusilla to him and clinging her to him. He's, she's still knocked out. Yeah, so it's gross because she's unconscious. Yeah. So she can't consent. And just the way he does it, it's like he's holding her like she's a toy. 
like she's a doll and he owns her. And I mentioned back when we first met Spike in Schoolheart, I'm like, we got to pay attention to how Spike interacts with women on the show, because Spike is a very misogynist character. And Mm -hmm. as we see him, you know, evolve, that's something we need to think about (laughs) is, you know, how much of that is commentary? Maybe how much of that is Joss Whedon leaking into this? Um, But, you know, Spike handling Drusilla in that way really, really upsets me because it's like, you don't respect Drusilla as a person. She's just this thing to you that you enjoy making out with and having sex with and doing creepy vampire shit with. Yeah, and I don't think we need to excuse the fact that he's a demon, really, because he still knocked her out, carried her out, and like I said, she looked really small and dainty in his arms. At the end of the day, what chance did she have in a fight against him? So, yeah, let's keep our eye on that for sure as the as the series go on. But for now, we can say goodbye. Goodbye, Spike and Drusilla. We're not going to see you for, for a little bit. So, bye, guys. You were a lot of fun. A safe journey to wherever you're going. <laughs> <laughs> so... Buffy is kicking Angel's ass as Willow's spell is getting more and more intense. Buffy ends up kicking Angel down to the ground in front of Akathla as Akathla continues to stir. And Willow is saying things like, akum, akum. And then finally the orb of Thessala in front of her glows white and disappears. And just as Buffy raises her arms in like an executioner style with the sword and she's about to behead Angel, who's kneeling in front of her, Angel looks up and his eyes glow white right in front of her. And then he falls forward, panting as Buffy holds her position. Oh, the scene. So Angel looks up and there's tears in his eyes. There's tears streaming down his face and he seems really, really confused. He says, Buffy? They had a PA run onto the set in between cuts and uh like held a cut onion underneath david boreanaz's eyes and just like okay start to cry how dare you besmirch david boreanaz's real tears <laughs> or sarah michelle geller had like an eyedropper that she was like <laughs> uh, squeezing on his face okay so we know that the spell's working because we saw this happen in becoming part one when they first insult him the orb glowed white and disappeared and then his eyes go white so his soul is back we know that as the audience but david boreanaz sells this because Mm -hmm. we see those tears even like his body language changes like the way his face moves and the way that his body moves and jealous was cocky and jealous was like charismatic and now you see angel and he's back to his emo fuckboy ways well yeah well he's i mean the soul itself adds that weight of of guilt and, you know, sadness. So automatically he's weighed down and that comes out in tears. Like his soul to me is like, it's all in his eyes, right? So Buffy's staring at him in disbelief. And of course the Buffy and Angel song starts up right now, (laughs) just because, you know, they really want, they really want me to cry. And Angel stands up and he looks around and he's really confused because remember, even in Becoming Part One, when we first saw this happen, he was really disoriented at first. He didn't know what was going on for a couple minutes. So he's like, Buffy, where are we? I don't remember. And this is when Buffy's slowly lowering her sword because she doesn't really want to believe it. But now she's trying to believe it. And she's saying, Angel. And Angel pulls her toward her and hugs her. And as he's hugging her, tears are streaming down his face. And he's like, God, I feel like I haven't seen you in months. Everything's so muddled. And we see over his shoulder, we see Buffy's face. And Buffy 
is in shock. She's devastated. Tears are streaming down Buffy's face, too. And we can see her take in the fact that Akathla, the demon, is right in front of her face. And the vortex is opening. The vortex mm-hmm. to hell. It's too late. They like She didn't know that they were going to reinsole him. But it's too late. The vortex is open. So Buffy... You can tell on her face. Sarah Michelle Geller in the scene, chef's kiss. She, you can see it all on her face, the decision she's making right now. So she pulls back from Angel and he asks her what's happening. And she says, don't worry about it. And she caresses his face and then she kisses him. And as she kisses him, we see the vortex behind them getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And Buffy pulls away and she says, I love you. And he says, I love you. And they're they're both I'm gonna cry I'm a fucking cry Kara and they're both crying and Buffy says close your eyes and I think you'll notice that that's what Darla said to Angel right before she took his human life she said close your eyes Angel closes his eyes Buffy kisses him one last time and then she steps back she takes her sword and she plunges it through his torso into a kathla and Angel looks shocked and he's reaching out to her from the vortex and she steps away and he says one last Buffy. 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 <laughs> and the vortex swallows him and closes. And then it's just an empty demon. Yeah. And it's important, I think, to remind people who didn't watch the episode with us, like this happens quite slowly. It's very drawn out. And the computer generated effects are quite poor. They're pretty yeah. good for that time, but they're they're poor compared to nowadays. But David Boreanaz and Sarah Michelle Gellar do such a good job of selling this scene that the hokey special effects don't don't matter. matter. Don't matter. And, Didn't even like, notice. They them. must have blown the season's budget on that shot. Like that's why they they had to save money in Willow's hospital room and stuff. But like. <laughs> You know, I I think these special effects are necessary because this is such a pivotal moment. And what makes it work for me and what what makes me cry is the fact that Buffy came so close to saving him. And at the end of the day, she had to choose to kill Angel, not Angelus, to save the world. So she's chosen the world over her lover. And that's a choice nobody should have to make. But especially not a 17-year-old girl. This is her first love. And I don't know if I, like, I've never been in romantic love. But, like, I don't know if I could make that choice at 17. Like, you know, like, the whole, the fate of the world depended on a 17-year-old girl who, up until two years ago, was obsessed with people named Tyler and Pike. (laughs) You know, like, Buffy has come such a long way. And she made this terrible, impossible choice that saved the whole world. Good for her. And just the way that the the scene keeps cutting between Angel being sucked into the hell and Buffy's just absolute wreck of a face. Because you can see her, like, she's living through this. This is going to haunt her nightmares for the rest of her life. Buffy's extraordinary. She's extraordinary, and that's why we have a show about her, right? As soon as that vortex closes, it goes to Buffy, and you can see her take this in. The fact, like you just said, she just killed her lover. But let's not forget that she already felt like she did back in Innocence. When Angel lost his soul, she felt like she killed him. Well, here he is, and she had to kill him again. Yeah. 
and it's tragic. It's so tragic. And you see her dissolve into tears. She lets this hit her. It takes a couple beats, right? We just watch her take this in. And then she dissolves into tears. She brings her hands up to her face and she turns. And of course, Joss Whedon just really wanted to pour a bag of salt into the wound that is my heart. And he starts playing a Sarah McLaughlin song (laughs) called Full of Grace. Who's Canadian, by the way. Yes. And she might also just be an angel flying (laughs) too low to the ground. Her voice is so angelic. It's perfect for the scene, but it's heartbreaking. And we cut to Buffy, who's walking slowly because she's what what hurry is she in um she's walking to her house and she looks at it she stops for a second and stares at it and then we look inside and joyce is coming up the stairs and calling for buffy because i think she thought she heard her and when she goes into buffy's room all the clothes are gone clearly she's been in there and she's packed a bag and there's a note on the bed and joyce reads the note and i doubt the note says soon Something tells me it doesn't say that. Um, it probably says later, right? Like Lucia. And I do feel really bad for Joyce here. I think it's really sad that they've left this the way it is. But Buffy took her for a word and she's like, well, I'm out of here, right? So that's when we cut to the high school where the Scoobies are all meeting. And miraculously, Giles and Willow have both chosen to come to school after being tortured and unconscious the day before. And Willow is in a wheelchair, so Oz is pushing her. And they are like, hey, like the world didn't end, so where's Buffy? Like, what happened? And Giles says they went back to the mansion, and it was empty, and Akafa was dormant. And Willow is like, well, the spell worked. I know it did, because I felt something go through me. And Xander, <laughs> Xander says, <laughs> maybe it wasn't in time. Maybe she had to kill him before the cure could work. Lies. L- lies! You liar! You <laughs> fucking liar you're dirty rat faced liar i hate you so much so like even his face like oh you're the reason he's dead you're the reason angel's gone i you cannot convince me otherwise you're do, Buffy do, would I, have stopped. do i need to go away for like five minutes then come back with your dead ranting stuff is that is that cool yeah i don't need you here to just rant about Sandra. Uh, by the way this, this is what i meant when i said there's one more good joke coming up because that okay. it was when oz was like well the world didn't end because look, right? <laughs> Here it was we the are. deadpan of like, you know, Oz is stating the obvious in his Oz way. Yeah, no, 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 that's that's fair. And a little lightheartedness from the friends that Buffy's left behind. But yeah, that mm, Xander. So anyway, Oz says maybe she just wants to be left alone. And Willow's like, well, maybe if he was sold, they want to be alone together. And I was like, well, that's a bit rich, you guys. I mean, Angel, he's, Angelus has a lot to answer for at this point, you know, but whatever. I don't think they're really believing what they're saying. I think they're just making excuses because Willow then just says, she'll be here in a while, but no one seems confident about it. They're just like, okay. And then they go head into school and Buffy has been watching them from across the street quietly she's actually quite stealthy here no one saw her from across the street good for her and uh she's wearing baggy travel clothes and she's got a duffel bag that is clearly empty (laughs) just in the way that sarah michelle geller carries it and um yeah we cut to buffy on a bus and she's sadly looking out the window and the sarah mclaughlin song continues to play and the bus is driving out of town right past a sign that says now leaving sunnydale come back soon Come back soon, indeed. The end. The end. 
the end. Oh my god. What a roller coaster. What a season. What a way to end the season. I mean, honestly, I, I wrote here, I said, this episode made a big whole mess out of every single person and every single relationship. And then it left us. And it's like, we'll clean it up later. Or will we? We're, we're left with a lot of cliffhangers here. They really struck gold with Sarah Michelle Gellar. <laughs> they really did. Like, she, oh, like that girl acted it's, yeah, her heart out. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what else to say. Like, I feel like I don't need to spend much time talking about how great the episode is because for those people listening who've watched the episode, y'all know. Like, this, <laughs> we don't have to convince you. No. And for those of you who haven't watched the episode yet, who are listening to this with spoilers for whatever reason, like, go watch the episode and make sure you have tissues and stuff. But, you know, this is... I, I don't think anybody, even if you're not a diehard Buffy fan like we are. I don't think anybody who has watched the series from its beginning to this point can deny that compared to its competition at the time, Buffy has matured into an incredible television show. This is incredible storytelling. Uh, and I might be wrong, so correct me if I'm wrong, listeners. Uh, I mean, I guess I can look this up after recording and then just tell you to cut it out if I'm wrong. But <laughs> I think Becoming Part 2 had, like, the highest ratings of any episode of Buffy. Uh, I'm not surprised. Yeah, because yeah. people were watching as the season went on and tuned into it because this is the fruition of the whole season. And I mentioned back at the very beginning of our podcast that... Buffy exists within an interesting era where serial storytelling of the kind that is so familiar to us today was only just getting started. So Buffy kind of benefited from some other TV shows that were already experimenting with serialization, but it still exists within the parameters of episodic television. So you need 22 episodes, so you get filler like we saw in this season quite a bit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But they're really taking on the whole like season-long story arc. And to those of you who are just watching Buffy now or picked it up, you know, a couple of years ago, who've really kind of grown up with or it's been so long you kind of forgotten like what TV used to be like, like really want to impress that fact on people who are mostly just familiar with serial television as it is these days. It was so different in the late 90s, early 2000s. We see Buffy right on the bridge, the cusp of episodic versus serial television. I think that's something that makes the show very special. Well said. I agree. And it's easy even for you or I or anyone who has been watching it since those days to remember that this is how TV used to be done. But more mm -hmm. importantly, this season proves that it can be done so well that you forget its flaws and you only take away what makes it so special. Yes, because it was more of a risk back then than it is now. And the risk paid off for Buffy because this is some really good... Like, this holds up compared to a lot of TV shows these days. Well, this is can't miss television. That's that's the whole yeah. point, right? It's like, this, the, I would say from the second half, since Surprise, uh, this season, the second half of it was unmissable. And if you were watching it live back in the 90s, mm -hmm. I bet you were at your TV every Tuesday yeah. night or whatever it was to and, and watch. That Buffy. was rare back then because, you mm -hmm. know, I think most people would agree 
the 90s were the golden age for movies. Movies, like, really got great in the 90s. Titanic. But I think we're going through a renaissance of TV right now. Like, TV is awesome right now because of all the stuff that we're able to do with with television and streaming services and stuff. Um, but back in the late 90s, early 2000s, I think TV was struggling a little bit because it was competing yeah. <laughs> with movies. It was competing with all these other things. And so for Buffy to do what it did in the late 90s is so impressive. And to make it look so flawless, right? Yeah. To make it to make the storytelling and the execution of an episode like this one make it look flawless the way it did. The fact that we're all bawling our eyes out at the end yeah. of it, can't, like oh, you guys, you outdid yourselves on this one. It was so good. I, I don't think we need to really tell you, like you know, draw out who our hero is in this episode. Well, I mean, unless you have a surprise choice, I, I'm choosing Buffy. Come on. Like there's no one else in my mind. I, I, mean, I was I was gonna go with Buffy and Willow, right? Because like you okay, know, okay. Willow is fighting her head trauma and still manages to reinsole Angel. Pretty big deal. Yeah, Willow came in with clutch move this episode for sure. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this was Buffy's episode, and I, I'm telling you, there's a reason why this episode is my favorite one, and it's because I just she's a hero she's someone you can aspire to be like. I'm blown away by Sarah Michelle Gellar's performance in this episode, and I'm blown away by Buffy the character, and I cannot wait to see where she goes from here. Where is she going on that bus? You know, so uh, I know we have our season two wrap up, and then we have a fun episode called Angel on Trial coming up after this, but I cannot wait to get to season three. Actually, this was the hardest. You and I keep saying, as we've watched seasons one and two, how difficult it is to watch one episode a week it's actually quite it's torture and that's probably what angel was doing to giles he slowed time down and made him watch (laughs) his favorite show one day a week um (laughs) but this was the hardest one for me not to continue on to the next episode of the first episode of season three i really i was ooh, i really wanted to but for you cara I, i stopped myself all right well that's you guys that's it that's the last episode of season two we do have hot stakes. Again, a reminder that uh, everybody who sent us your hot stakes for becoming parts one, two, and the season wrap up, thank you so, so much. Again, we have divided them up into each episode. So if you don't hear yours today, you will hear it in the future. So let's start with Christian. Christian wrote in to us about this episode specifically and wanted to talk about Buffy and Kendra. And I particularly... I was blown away by this hot steak. I think it makes so much sense. And you actually, Kara, earlier said something along these lines where I was like, <gasps> like, but I'm like, no, no, Christian talked about it later. So Christian says, I'm writing my thesis for my English and American studies degree on the construction of ethics and morals in female superheroines on TV right now. Wow. <laughs> where are you getting here? Christian, where are you getting your education? I would like to sign also, up. Are you going to cite us? Because anybody <laughs> who wants to cite us in an academic paper, whew. I'm, yeah. I'm down with it. I love it. And I, uh, you know, not to take away from your hot steak, Christian, for just a second, but somebody on TikTok messaged us and said that uh, they had shared Prophecy Girls with their professor <laughs> and their professor loved it. So we're going to have a Buffy Studies course between Kara and I online very soon. 
<laughs> so anyway, back to Christian. Christian says naturally Buffy as basically the first mainstream female superhero on TV is next Jessica Jones, one of my research objects. My theory is that superheroines, in contrast to their male counterparts, are not written with a fixed set of ethics and morals from the start, but rather construct the ethical codex in being confronted with the personification of their respective super ego and it. I'd theorize that Kendra is in fact this, the personification of Buffy's superego, i.e. the disciplined, strict, and rule-abiding soldier. And while it is a shame that Buffy's first significant black character got killed so quickly, and that's a whole other issue, the death is necessary for Buffy's development. I would argue that in Becoming Part 2, when Buffy is confronted with the ethical conundrum of sacrificing the freshly cured angel, she decided to drive the sword the sword. <laughs> she decided to drive the sword into him as a direct consequence of Kendra's death. As we've established before, Buffy considers her, her emotions a strength. She even said so directly towards Kendra. However, she actively puts her emotions aside to sacrifice the one she loves for the many, thus putting her duty before her emotions and hence embraces her super ego. So Kendra's death was necessary for Buffy to embrace her heroine's journey. Really looking forward to your opinions on the season finale. So yeah, I, I think that's such an interesting <laughs> way of looking at it. And remember, like I didn't want to disregard Kendra's death as being important in this episode mm -hmm. and leading up to Buffy feeling alone and really leaning into her Slayer life versus her human life, because her human life is, you know, in, sh in tatters right now. <laughs> um, so it does make perfect sense that Kendra and her death would have a much bigger meaning to Buffy. I, I don't think that the show did a really good job of explaining what that would be. And they certainly didn't do a good job of developing Kendra's character to make her this significant part of Buffy's well, life. And, and the other thing is... Nobody in this episode, other than Buffy briefly mentioning that one of her friends is dead, talks about Kendra, right? And that yeah. is such a disservice to her. Like, the writers could have put in a little scene where Willow and Xander or Willow and Oz or somebody are just being like, and Kendra's dead. Like, give this girl her due. But, mm -hmm. you know, no, they don't care about her. <laughs> nope. Uh, yeah, th this is interesting. Um I'm not so big on the Freud as Christian is, but, you know, regardless of the particular psychological framework that you apply, the idea that Buffy as a heroine has an ongoing, evolving set of ethics compared to more fixed or static heroes, that's an interesting one. I am not sure. I'm not disagreeing, but I'm also not agreeing because I'm, I'm like going through my head of like all the different shows and, and books and movies I've, I've consumed and stuff. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. Does this match up? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. It's, that, that's a big discussion. And it is. It is. Good luck with your thesis. And I, and I will say, you know, at the end of the day, like a lot of our conversation today was about the, the parallel between Buffy's human girl side and her superhero side. And at the end of the day, sure, she slayed Angel. Like she, she yeah. saved the day. And she saved the world and she stuck a sword through the guy and killed him. But then we see her crying <laughs> as yeah. the sad girl that she is. So well, it's interesting. That's actually a really good point um, that you just made, Steph, is Buffy's a superhero. Uh, she's not, you know, she doesn't dress up in tights and a cape. So 
we may not think of her as a superhero, but (laughs) at her core, this is a superhero story. And so, you know, anybody who's familiar with like the Marvel Cinematic Universe these days, right? Like apply that logic to Buffy. She has an origin story and she has this arc. And I I think that's looking at Buffy the series through the critical lens of superhero as a genre is an interesting exercise. I like that. Our next hot stake is from Leah. And Leah starts with a question. How does it feel to know that soon your heart is going to be stabbed through with a sword, the same way Buffy will stab Angel's heart through with a sword? And Leah's response to unpack this is, The Becoming Two-Parter is truly a love letter to the Buffy-Angel romance. It shows just how much their lives and destinies are intertwined, and how much they've both changed the other's lives. I don't think Angel first saw Buffy walk down the steps and fell in love with her right away. I think he identified with her. Angel had just spent 90 to 100 years isolating himself, living in sewers and eating rats. Before then, he was soulless, and then trying to go back to Darla. It's proven that Angel never loved any more before Buffy. So how would he have known that he was in love with her at first sight? I think the only emotions Angel could have identified at this point in his life are guilt and numbness. But when he saw Buffy, he saw someone being thrown into a world she didn't ask for, like him, and he identified and empathized with her turmoil. I think it's so special that he got to watch her be called and kill her first vampire. Angel is really woven into the fabric of Buffy's becoming story, Mm. and vice versa. Buffy is Angel's reason for deciding to stand up and make a choice to be better. They're epic, and this two-part finale proves it. Bye. I'm going to go cry now. (laughs) Thanks for writing that to us before you just completely broke down in tears, because, yeah, like, that's a really good summary of what we've been discussing this whole episode, which is that this episode is the culmination of the relationship that we saw right from the beginning of the series. Mm, You know I do love this relationship so much. Uh, I do also want to answer her question where she says, how does it feel to know that your heart will soon be stabbed out? Well, it doesn't feel good, all right? Like, it's devastating. And uh, I'll put myself through this torture any day, though. Obviously, I did it over and over and over again because it's so good. Hurts so bad, feels so good. (laughs) But yeah, Buffy and Angel... This is the relationship, the romantic relationship that's carried all the way through the last two seasons. I think that ending it in this way was so beautiful and brutal and poetic. And it was a lot of things. Um, But I think I think I I alluded to this a bit in the other episode, too. But showing us Angel's backstory in part one really made sense when it comes to the finale of their relationship together and why they were brought together. Yeah. All right, so we have one more for today, right? Yes. So our last hot stake is from Charlotte, who says, The Xander Slander is coming after his decision not to tell Buffy about Willow's spell in Becoming Part 2. And Charlotte, you were right. You know us so well. You know that Stephanie could not withhold the Xander Slander. Mm -hmm. And I hope we delivered. (laughs) Uh, And Charlotte goes on to say, But man. This was the irreconcilable Xander moment for me. The ramifications of his actions here were literally killing a souled being 
and he genuinely decided to kill, to do it. He manipulates Buffy, and she could have changed her battle strategy to fend off Angelus until a spell took if she knew. But Xander said, I'd rather have Angel dead. And Buffy absolutely wrecked, <laughs> then recognized the choices, intentions, or feelings of anyone but myself. <laughs> I know this had to happen for the plot and the emotional payoff, but fuck that. Um, <laughs> and then Charlotte goes on to kind of explain in a bit more detail that we won't share because it's a little bit of a spoiler. But it's basically what you said earlier, Steph, like the repercussions of Xander's actions here are they come up in season three, but we don't really deal with it. And y'all will see when we get there. Season three is really, really interesting for a ton of reasons, but we do not have time to go into that right now. Um, so like you were saying earlier, Steph, we've got season two wrap up coming. So lots more hot stakes, lots more interesting stuff. Then we are going to put Angel on trial. Look forward to that. <gasps> yeah. And then we are starting season three right away. So grab the snacks, charge <laughs> your headphones, because Get your we tissues. are going to keep going. Thanks, everybody, for your hot stakes and for listening to season two. And thanks, Kara, for uh, watching me cry and doing nothing about it. <laughs> Anytime. Thanks for listening to Prophecy Girls. We invite you to join in the discussion by messaging us on our social media channels. Follow us at Prophecy Girls Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook, and Prophecy underscore Girls on Twitter. You can also reach out to our email at prophecygirlspodcast at gmail.com or visit our website, prophecygirls.ca. See you next week. Bye.